looking at the, the letter of Paul to the Ephesians, and we're looking in chapter 6. And for our scripture reading today, I would like to read the scripture. It's been our scripture reading for several weeks in uh, the, the last several weeks. But I want us to read it again because we'll be spending some time uh, in this passage as well. But I'll be reading Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 14. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 14. Where Paul writes, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth. And having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth. This is the reading of God's word. So in the last uh, series, we looked at uh, our enemy, the devil. We understood that we have uh, an enemy who is after us, seeking to destroy us, seeking to uh, undermine God's work in us. To cause us to sin, to cause us to disbelieve and to reject God. And here we've seen this passage over the last couple of weeks. Uh, Paul is giving the exhortation for Christians with the reality. The reality that we have an enemy and the reality that we are in an actual spiritual warfare against this enemy. Even though Christ is victorious and he is one, there is uh, there's kind of guerrilla warfare happening. Uh, there, Satan is still at work to try and cause harm to all of us. And so Paul lets us know, using the imagery of a soldier in warfare, that we have to put on our, our armor to fight against this enemy. And so over the course of the next six or seven weeks, we're going to look at each of these pieces of armor that Paul uses as this metaphor, this image for believers. And so today we're going to look at the very first piece, and that is what we would call the belt of truth. And if you'd like to follow along and take notes, you can uh, on the backside of the order of service page in your handout. I encourage you to do that. The, the main text for this morning is the first half of verse 14, first and middle of verse 14 of chapter 6. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth. Or as we would say uh, in the, the Greek is literally would read having girded your loins, having girded your loins. Now, loins here is referring to the part of the body uh, that is on either side of the spine. OK, um, although sometimes used metaphorically some as for a different region. But this is the part it's on either side of the spine. Below the ribs and above the hip bones. So I would like for you all to feel your loin region, right? Go ahead. If you can, you can reach around there. Find where your ribs are, okay? And then 
uh, go down toward your hips, that little area there on either side of the spine. Okay. You feel those muscles? All right. This is really, uh, actually, it's pretty relevant today because last Sunday I injured my back uh, picking up a piece of paper. <laughs> on the Sunday morning, I'm, I printed some handouts and I went down to pick them up and poof, I felt this twinge in my back. Crazy, you know, like I could pick up weights, but I pick up a piece of paper, but just changed just oddly enough. And so I tweaked a muscle in that area that's very tender uh, kind of muscle area, that loins area, right? And so you've heard of tender loins on, you know, a certain animal if you like to eat meat. Uh, that's a tender muscle area. So this is the area that Paul is referring to. That's the Greek word that it's referring to here. And so he's, he's saying he, he wants you to gird that area up or to wrap and wrap a support around it. So if you can imagine like a modern day equivalent, um, there's some people who work in like kind of factories that have a back support brace, right? Have you seen these that wrap around, you know, thick, several, four to six inches wide that wrap around the waist to provide support in your loins, your loins there, right? The ancient picture would be uh, what the Roman soldiers would wear uh, as the first piece of uh, first piece of equipment that they would put on. Uh, be, uh, the first piece of equipment that they would put on over their tunic. So their main piece of clothing would be like a wool woolen garment or a linen garment that just kind of had holes for their arms, usually cropped short so that they had freedom of motion for their arms. And then it would come down to here and it would be kind of flowing. And so they would take this this uh, belt, um, baltius, they would, I think is the, the Latin phrase for it. And they would wrap it around over the top of their tunic to kind of cinch everything in and to keep their kind of core tight. It would serve a lot of different functions as well, too. So it kind of kind of keep things supported and tight in there. It would offer some protection. They would have some leather strips that would be attached to it that would come down the front that would have uh, metal like grommets or something on the top. Uh, so to provide protection to the front area, to the upper thigh area. And then it also served the function to hang other equipment on it, like your sword, for instance, which we'll get to. It's another piece of equipment. So can you picture this? Maybe you're picturing um, Russell Crowe in the movie Gladiator with the big leather belt around his waist right there. That is the image, the metaphor that Paul wants you to have uh, in mind when he says here, gird up your loins. Okay. The idea it conveyed that was one of uh, readiness. Because when you were off duty, you were wanting to take this thing off. When you're at home, oh, to take your to take that uh, girdle, that belt off, you know, kind of like Roman soldier. You picture him coming home Sunday afternoon. The lions are playing. And so he wants to take that off and sit on the couch. That's that's kind of. But if you were ready and ready for action and wanted to fight, you would. That's the first thing you would do to put on. Maybe the lions was a bad picture for Romans. <laughs> that's a. That was a bad image. Um, so here, this is the same uh, phrase that's used for Jesus when he's talking about w when he comes back. And he says this in Luke chapter 12, verse 35. He says uh, in the, e uh, the ESV translated, stay dressed for action. 
Keep your lamps burning. You know, he's talking in this parable about being ready for when he returns. He uses this. It's stay dressed for action, but it's literally the same thing. Your waist or your loins girded, strapped. Peter says the same, uh, uses the same words as well in first Peter chapter one, when he writes to, uh, to the church that he's writing to, he says, and the ESV has it, therefore preparing your minds for action and be sober minded so that he says here, it's literally girding up the loins of your mind. Okay. So the image and for Paul, the object that that image was pointing to, excuse me, for Peter was to gird up your mind. Paul here is using this image to point to an object, and that object is truth. It says, having fastened on or having girded up your loins with truth. With truth. What is truth? There's, the commentators kind of debate on what sense is meant by here. Is this like God's eternal truth? And therefore, what we're to be doing is girding ourselves up with God's truth as would be revealed in Christ or as would be revealed in the scripture. I do think that that's that is what Paul has in mind because he calls this the armor of God. The other sense would be girding yourselves up with sincerity. Can you just be a sincere people and stuff, too? And I think although that would be true, I don't think that's kind of the main emphasis here. He's talking about you as a believer putting on God's armor. So putting on God's truth. Now, if I could just take a moment and talk a little bit about this idea of truth. Now, I'm just kind of vamping here. Um, in our world, in our day, we're experiencing what some people call a crisis of truth. For most of modern history, for most of human history, and we would say definitely in the last half of the, or last half of the last millennium, we'll say, um, certainly in light of the enlightenment, most people believed that there was such a thing as ultimate truth or absolute truth. And into the enlightenment period, you know, as uh, philosophy and scientific study and scientific inquiry were really starting to take off, um, there was kind of this growing sense that Truth, absolute truth, could be discovered through unaided reason. So the human mind, uh, with reason, we would be able to understand what absolute truth is. But either way, people generally understood that there was such a thing as truth, and it was, and it could be known. I'd say in the last half of this last century, however, have been some developments that have sought to challenge that fundamental understanding. There's some writers and philosophers who have uh, put forward the idea that uh, question this idea that there is such a thing as an absolute truth. That it doesn't really exist. That all truth is really only conditioned uh, or is conditioned deeply on one's experiences or is conditioned upon the culture in which they come from. Or it's conditioned upon um, their history or their people or those kind of things. So, so truth, there, there could be something, uh, such a thing as truth, but truth was only truth to them. But their truth might not be truth to somebody else. You see what I mean? 
And then other people would say, well, you, that's your personal truth. And that's fine. You can affirm that personal truth. But I have my truth. And so nobody. So you understand this. This is kind of the, what's called postmodernism. This questioning the idea that that there is such a thing as an absolute truth. One. And there's another kind of strand to that is uh, that some who they say there may be such a thing as an ultimate truth. But our human minds are so finite, we couldn't understand it if we could. And there's people who write books about these ideas that say there's no such thing as truth and um, we couldn't really understand it. There's too many limitations in the form of communication. How many of you guys understand this? You see this kind of phenomenon, this this undermining of such a thing called truth and that truth is just relativist. It's relativism. It's just relative. Well, that's your truth, but I have my truth. You know, our truth might come in conflict. Well, let's just tolerate each other's truth. Right. OK. What I, I find. Uh, and so some people have called this a crisis of truth. I actually call it like a crisis of postmodernism because I think it ends up becoming self-refuting. Right. So these writers who write the saying that there are no such things as truth. There's no propositional statements that are true. Everything is just subject to the eye of the beholders like beauty. Truth is in the eye of the beholder. And we couldn't understand what somebody wrote a long time ago. Um, we can't really understand what they said anyway. Uh, any, so so we so we all of those things call into question truth. The only problem is, is those people wrote those things down. They were expecting you to believe that they could understand something. And they were arguing for a position they thought was true. That there is no truth. See how it's self-refuting, right? So, so there is a crisis of truth, and I think we're really experiencing it, and especially on college campuses. How many people are on a college campus recent on recently a part of college? You know, right? You see this; it's kind of something that's just uh, all truth is relative. There is no absolute truth. So, um, so there is a crisis on truth. But here's here's what I want to kind of propose today. Um, there is such a thing as truth and that the kind of operational definition that we have of truth is that truth corresponds to reality. Truth reflects what is real and what reality is. And I believe that uh, ultimate reality is found in God himself. And so God himself is true. God himself is a God who has revealed himself. And so we can understand truth we can't understand God because the God of truth has revealed himself to us. So I have this this uh, read a line from our church's statement of faith and confession that says this, which acknowledges there's some good parts about postmodernism that that we can't the human mind with unaided reason can come to understand ultimate truth. We would we would say I would agree with postmodernism in that point. Because God is the God of truth. And so we would have to understand that the human mind, unaided by revelation from God himself, uh, we couldn't understand truth. This is how I say it. I know I'm a little bit in the weeds here, but thank you for tracking with me. Our statement of faith says this. We confess that both our finitude, our finiteness and our sinfulness preclude the possibility of knowing God's truth exhaustively. Okay. There's some things that we just don't know about God's truth. 
You know, the secret things of the deep things of God, um, but is different than what he's revealed to us at the end of Deuteronomy. So that, okay, so we do not we we uh, recognize that our finitude and our sinfulness preclude the possibility of knowing God's truth exhaustively. But we affirm that enlightened by the spirit of God, we can know God's revealed truth truly. We can know God's revealed truth truly because of the work of the spirit. The Bible is to be to be believed as God's instruction in all that it teaches, obeyed as God command in all that it requires. So we put it uh, this way. Um, I think uh, I have a quote here from um, St. Augustine, not St. Augustine, as my professor said, St. Augustine's in Florida. St. Augustine is in heaven. So St. Augustine said this. Nay, but let every good and true Christian understand that wherever truth may be found, it belongs to his master. So we would contend there is such a thing. There is truth. There is true truth. And truth corresponds to reality. And God is the ultimate reality. And so we can understand truth if the ultimate reality, God himself, reveals himself to us. Are you with me? You tracking with me? Okay. Or another way of saying it is all truth is God's truth. So this morning now I want to go through a couple of uh, things that kind of a couple of supporting points about this and then some applications for us and what that means for us in girding up our loins with truth. A couple of things. First, God is truth. The scriptures depict there is one true God. And that truth is fundamental to his character. Like I said earlier, truth is what corresponds with reality and God is reality. As we saw in our letter to the uh, Thessalonians in our series in Thessalonians this summer, where Paul is praising them for this report concerning the reception that uh, we had um, among that the Thessalonians had among their preaching of the gospel. And he says, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. Or as Jesus uh, prayed in John chapter 17, and this is eternal life that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. So God is truth. Second, what God says is truth. Jesus later in that prayer says uh, to in his prayer to God on behalf of his disciples as he is getting ready to face the cross. Um, he says, don't I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. So here here you have the part of his prayer where he's engaging in this spiritual conflict uh, that we spoke of. And he says this, they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. And then he says this, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. And many commentators have noted that normally if he was saying that your word is true uh, or your word is faithful or accurate, they would have used the adjective there. He doesn't. He uses the noun. Your word is truth. It's, it's not quite enough to say your word is 
true. It is that for sure. But it's true because it is truth itself. So Jesus is, so God is the truth. What God says is the truth. Next, Jesus is the truth. You can kind of see where this is going. So we believe one God uh, eternally exists in three persons, then it would make sense that Jesus is the truth if God is the truth, right? John chapter 14, or excuse me, John chapter 1, in this very beginning, as John is writing, and he says, And the Word became flesh. This eternal Word that was in the beginning, it became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory of, as of the Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And Jesus comes along later as he's with his disciples and he says, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the father except through me. Jesus is truth, And so what Jesus says is true. Jesus telling his disciples, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Notice the connection of Jesus's speech, his word to his disciples, and that how that corresponds to the truth. So God is truth. What God says is true. Jesus is truth. What uh, what Jesus says is truth. And then what and the Holy Spirit also is truth. Jesus, again, speaking to his disciples in John chapter 15. And he says in several places, he talks about the helper coming, the counselor or advocate, the parakletos was the word. But when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the father, the spirit of truth. Who proceeds from the father, he will bear witness about me. Jesus in telling in advance about the coming of the Holy Spirit, the eternal spirit of God, he says uh, in qualifying what that spirit is. He says, that's the spirit of truth. So the Holy Spirit is truth. And so it would make sense then that the Holy Spirit would, what the Holy Spirit says is truth. Jesus goes on in the same passage of scripture. And he says, when the spirit of truth comes, he says it again, he will guide you into all truth for he will not speak on his own authority. So what the Holy Spirit says is truth as well. You with me on all of this? Okay. So here is here you have the ultimate reality is revealed in the triune God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. All of them are truth. And all all that they all would each say is truth. So now what does that mean for us? Okay? What does what are the the uses for us? In this regard, a couple of things. One, think the truth. Think the truth. I like what Paul says in Philippians chapter four, verse eight. So we are to think the truth. We are to believe the truth. He says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, Think about these things. Whatever is true, think about these things. One of the tactics and one of the devices of Satan is um, is to cause us to not 
believe truth and and or to believe what is a lie or an untruth. That's Satan's one of his tactics. And one of our tactics or strategies in defense of that would be to think of what is true. Um, I, I started this several several years ago. This is this has been many many years ago uh, now as well too. Um, but maybe you can relate. I'll just kind of share a general story, and maybe you can relate. Maybe show of hands, say you've experienced this kind of thing, right? How many of you have had a thought come into your head? Maybe it's something you thought somebody else thought about you. Okay, so you you got this kind of thought in your head, and you have kind of thought, oh, so and so. They're probably mad at me because of this. I got a few nods here, right? So I'm not the only one that's doing this. That's very reassuring. Thank you. So, so I was so I was thinking. Oh, now I didn't have very much evidence to kind of prove that that was true, but I had projected something that I thought they felt about me onto them, and now I was worried about what I had just projected on them feeling about me. You see what I mean? I know this is great. So, so I'm like, they're probably really upset with me, even though I'm like, I don't have any evidence to think that. Well, you ever notice it doesn't stop there, right? So then it's like, well, then, oh no, well, if they're upset with me about this, oh, that must be what they meant when they said this thing. And then you start piling on other things that are all built on that thing that, right? And so soon you have this entire edifice that you have, that's controlling your thoughts and emotions. And you realize, actually, I, I based that off of something that wasn't even true. So I ended up having a conversation with this person. And then I realized the very first thing was totally untrue. And therefore, all of the other things that that was built on was totally untrue. You ever have this happen? Sure, please raise your hand. Right. So you've created an entire evidence of falsehood and you Believe it. You believe like, oh, man, they're really upset with me about this kind of thing. And so uh, so I realized that coming away from that interaction, I realized, whoa, man, I just created an entire uh, an entire framework of things that were false. How did I do that? And how did it do that? What was it doing to my soul? Like I would my heart rate was going up and it was tense and um so I, I kind of walked away from that thing and I go, you know what I should start to do? I should start to ask the question, whenever I feel a thought like that, I should ask, is that true? And so I've actually made that a practice in our household, like Janet and I, you know, she'll, we'll talk about something and we'll get, and then I'll, I'll say, is that true? Is that true? A couple of weeks ago, uh, I mentioned to, to Luna in our question and answers, uh, what Paul writes in Second Corinthians, where he talks about we uh, we do not wage in warfare as as the the world does. Instead, what we do is we uh, take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. And I love that 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 image that every thought that we would have to that comes into our minds, we would say, "Wait a second, I'm not going to let that thought just kind of bounce around in my head, uh, untethered. I'm going to grab that thing and I'm going to test it, and then I'm going to run it through the grid. Is that true?" I think that that's an amazing tactic, amazing defense weapon against Satan is to think is it true. Are you with me? So how do we gird up our loins with truth? I think the first thing we would do is to think the truth and ask ourselves, is that true? Is that thought true? 
Is that statement true? Is that feeling true? The second one is, is to speak the truth. To speak the truth. Or as Paul earlier, just several verses earlier, um, or earlier in Ephesians says this. It says, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. So here it's a passage about uh, God's goal is that there would be maturity, that all people, all the Christians in the church would grow to full maturity, that they wouldn't be caught wavering and, you know, every little uh, wind of doctrine that would come along and cause you to, to uproot you. He wants you to be rooted and established in Christ and to grow into full maturity. And he says, and that requires speaking the truth in love. So truth telling, as I quote from uh, a writer this week, it says, truth telling is always necessary for the Christian. We are not allowed. Friends, we are not allowed to speak in ways that are fundamentally dishonest and that undermine the truth of God's word about how um, about how he has revealed himself. And as we so we are uh, we are to speak. We are not permitted to speak in ways that are fundamentally dishonest and that undermine the truth of God's word. I don't know if I have this, this slide. I don't think I do. Um, but Paul writes this in Second Corinthians in comparison to the false teachers that were going around in his day and then kind of saying bad things about him and his ministry. And he writes, he goes, we have renounced disgraceful and underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. But by open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves in everyone's conscience to you. Okay. So you do, we, we speak the truth. And this is this is so vital for for churches as well, uh, too. That makes me think about when, you know, we renounce disgraceful and underhanded ways. Paul writes that Um, about a year ago, I heard uh, of a a pretty large church that had a, a lot of people come forward at kind of an altar call evangelism kind of thing. So it's a pretty large modern church, you know, light show and all that kind of stuff. And it was uh, revealed afterward, like, you know, a hundred people came forward. There's thousands of people in the audience. And it was revealed afterwards somewhere along the ways. It was leaked out that uh, that most of those people were plants. So when they made this kind of altar call to come forward and accept Christ. Like 50 or more of them were actually they're already believers or whatever. They're, They're planted in there and they were to stand up and come forward because that would kind of spur and, you know, the other people that may be kind of wavering whether they would come forward or not, right? And that was revealed that, that they were... I, and I thought, oh, wow. Underhanded ways. Like, ugh. we're to speak. We're to speak the truth. Anyway, number three. So we're to think the truth, we're to speak the truth, and we are to practice the truth. Or do the truth, as uh, John writes in his letter. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not 
practice the truth, he says there. Or we do not do or work truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of his son cleanses us from all sin. And again, he would say uh, this little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. So we as a church are to not only think what is true and to say what is true, we're to do what is true. We're to live in accordance with what is true and what God has revealed as true to us. And I said earlier that this this is so fundamental to the church because uh, as Paul writes to Timothy, he says these words, um, he, he makes reference to the household of God which is the church of the living God, he said. First Timothy chapter three, verse 15. And then he says this of the church. So he says, household of God, the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. In a world that is increasingly embracing postmodern relativism, the truth is just what you feel based on your situations, your circumstances, your culture, your background, or what you want it to be. The church stands as the bulwark against that. Because the church is the pillar and buttress of the truth. Like old ancient buildings have these, you know, architectural beams that stand on the outside of the church that supports the wall on the outside. That's what that term is used for. The church comes alongside as a buttress to the truth because... We come to worship the God who is true and says what is true because we come to worship Jesus Christ, who is truth and says what is truth because we come to worship the Holy Spirit, who is truth and what he says is truth. So remember, just kind of close. Hey, remember, remember the context here. This is the armor of God. Against the schemes of the devil. So we have an enemy who is dead set against what is true. He is the liar. He's the father of lies. He invented lying. He introduced distorting ultimate reality into the world. And he will get you to believe what is false. He will get you to speak what is false. And he will get you to do what is false. And so to fight, to fight this enemy, we need to think the truth, speak the truth, and practice the truth. So, my brothers and sisters, stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth. Would you pray? Father God, the one true and living God, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for this collection of verses that we've pulled together to to reveal um, what you would say about truth and what is um, what is true about you and what is true about the way we need to live in this world. God, we live in a time where um, so many 
don't even believe that such a thing as truth can be known. God, help us as your people to reflect your truth in this world. That we be a buttress for truth. That we speak the truth, that we do the truth, and that we believe and live and think and act the truth. God, help us to do that. Because you are true, help us to do that because you've given us the spirit of truth. We pray all of this in in Jesus' mighty name. And all God's people said, amen and amen. Would you stand uh, for closing benediction, please? Uh, Reminder that the offering box is over at the table. And um, if you have any questions about anything and or just need prayer for anything, please feel free to come up. Uh, I would love to to meet with you, talk to you or pray for you um, as well. Um, Now, brothers and sisters. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with all of you as you go. Amen.